If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Ever since we were little children, we enjoyed rewards for our accomplishments. We worked really hard to pull our grades up, to get, on, get that special item that mom and dad promised us if we got straight A's on our report card. At least some of us probably did. Somewhere along the way, though, some of us gave up when it was tough and stopped trying. We may have missed the goal and got a B on our report card and we're like, eh, it's never going to happen. Unfortunately, this carried over into our spiritual walk with God as we grew older. We just don't think it's worth the pain that we may need to go through to trust God completely. You see, these rewards that God provides are so worth it if we only learn to trust. There are six in this text in Proverbs 3, but we'll only look at the first three this morning. Number one, a better life. Verses 1 through 2. Number 2, better relationships. Verses 3 through 4. And number 3, better direction. Verses 5 through 6. The other three we're going to be looking at as we resume next summer. Number 1, a better life. Verses 1 through 2. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. The truth is this, church, you and I need to remember that in longing for God, we will be longing for his wisdom that is found in his word. If you're saying, I want more of God in my life, then the default answer should be, I want more of this in my life. Any Christian that says, I want God apart from this is not telling themselves the truth. If we're looking to just grow in our knowledge of facts and stuff without desire to follow through in keeping the commandments, as this text says, then we are looking at pursuit and futility. If all you're doing when it comes to the Bible is saying, I just want to know more. I just want to learn some new cool facts about the Bible, about God, and you have nothing that you want to do with that knowledge, then your exercise is an exercise in futility. So many Bible nerds love all the cool conspiracy stuff with the Bible, but practically they live in ignorance because they don't have a longing to apply what Scripture clearly reveals. Outside of the speculations in what something could mean with the future on the horizon, we should be aware of what is going on around us. But misinterpretation is rampant in the Christian community, which ignores the clear teachings of Scripture and focuses more on the speculations and musings of famous Bible scholars and teachers. I love a good conspiracy just like anybody else. I'm going to be perfectly honest. But I also know that with anything outside of Scripture, there's a lot of room for error when it comes to the facts. You see, the world is headed for troubled times, and we should be alert. But Y2K was not the end in 2000, was it? I know lots of people bought into that. I personally know many of them still today that bought into Y2K. This is it. This is the end of the world. 
year 2000. And year 2000 came and went. Here we are today. That's not to say that we should not be aware of the times. That is not to say that we shouldn't be aware of what's coming down the pike. But unfortunately, we sometimes get trapped in the, I think this is going to happen with an almost certainty that isn't valid. There have been plenty of fully assured, self-deceived believers that thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. I say that with all due respect and humbly, if you had a grandmother, grandfather, brother, sister, father, mother that made these statements, I love them, and you do too. But we many times are under self-deception when we try to do what God has not even said, predicting when he comes back without full certainty. You see, the reality is, is, Christ's return is imminent. It could happen at any moment. For you and I to feel it's in our lifetime is a dangerous thought sometimes. Because I don't know if it's happened to you, sometimes it cripples us into inaction in certain areas. Where instead of going, I'm going to pursue God more, I'm going to go reach more people with the gospel, we insulate, isolate ourselves. We're like, I don't want to be hurt. It's getting harder. I don't want damage in my life. What does this text say? To not forget God's law. Let your heart keep my commandments. There are things for you and I to do, not just speculate. Christ can and he will return. We can look for the signs. But believer, we may very well be wrong in how we interpret them. If Jewish scholars believe, miss the birth of Christ, there are plenty of us that will miss his return as well. I don't know why many today believe that they have a better assessment of Bible prophecy simply because we've gotten further along. Yes, there are things that have been revealed. The reestablishment of the nation of Israel is a big deal. But at the end of the day, that reestablishment does not mean that Jesus comes back tomorrow. It could be tomorrow, it could be tonight, it could be a hundred years from now. God cares more that you and I are ready, which is why he emphasizes this throughout the word of God. He wants you to be ready rather than terrified looking for the end. The key here is remember, don't forget the law of God. The tendency is to forget what ought to be done and jump to speculations. You, you ever been around someone that loves to read a book but doesn't want to read what they ought to probably read that would be helpful for them? I think we all do it, right? We read books we'd like to read, but the ones we probably should be reading, we don't read. Like, hey, man, I got this problem with anger. Maybe that would be a good book to read something on. Maybe reading the Bible. <laughs> what does it warn about? Like, we just read it through Proverbs, right? Like, don't be friends with an angry person. That's not a good friend. That's good, helpful advice. Sometimes anger comes from somebody else we hang out with. You ever seen that? Like, someone just lights a fuse, right? 
This person's angry, that person gets around, and all of a sudden they're angry too. Goodness gracious. But that's why it's important to remember the commandments of God. Instead of jumping into speculation that we believe is going to give us the inside scoop. Believer, there are hidden treasures when it comes to digging in God's word. Absolutely. We talked about that just a few weeks ago. But they are not usually found in borrowing someone else's shovel. You know how easy it is to just go borrow someone else's shovel when it comes to digging in God's word? It's very easy. A lot of people do it. They would rather have Spurgeon tell them. And I love Spurgeon. I read Spurgeon a lot. But Spurgeon can't walk my walk with God. We need, need to dig for ourselves in God's word. Unfortunately, some people use newspaper eisegesis many times, thinking we are interpreting it correctly because it seems like this is the case right now. Be careful with the phrase, it seems like. Opens the door to all sorts of error. You need to make God's word personal. It has to be personal. It cannot be something you borrow from someone else. One of the reasons why it's so important is because when we as believers make God's word personal, that's when God can do something in our lives to use us. Do you want to know why you and I feel like God doesn't use us? It's because we don't take God's word for ourselves, and we think it only applies to everybody else around us. You ever been in a conflict with somebody thinking, man, God, please work on them. Goodness, they're messed up. And then you read the Bible and God goes, um, you're the problem. It's really you. Don't worry, I'm working on them too. But you've got your own problems to deal with. The goal is obedience, believer. You should have a higher priority in obeying God's word than speculating about God's word. And believe me on one thing, believer, if you and I learn more of who God is and what he is in his word, you and I are more responsible for that. So realize that just because you learn more doesn't make it easier. Now you have more to be responsible and accountable for. Now don't go the other extreme. There's some Christians that go, well, I don't want to know more because I don't want to be more accountable. You're still accountable. Don't fall into that trap. Listen to Paul's warning to Timothy regarding this kind of knowledge, by the way. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 9. Because unfortunately, a lot of people, they just want knowledge. They just want to learn more stuff. They just want to know more about God, but they don't want to apply it. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 9, says this. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be a very, very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Well, that's the truth of today's culture, right? They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. 
they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. But they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. You see, Janus and Jambres were magicians that opposed Moses' call for the freedom of his people. They tricked people into believing that Moses' God was not really superior. They counterfeited God's miracles. Some of the most devastating things that have happened in the church was the work of false teachers who were to give people special insight and distract from what a person is called to do in everyday living. Um, I, I want to be very careful how I say this because I don't want anybody thinking I'm just out to target anybody. I'm not. But some of us care way more about learning something new and we don't want to do what we already know we ought to do. Some of us like the speculation stuff way more than the practical stuff I ought to be doing right now. So much today is Christians that live in fear. Because, you know what, it's the end, right? And I need to be living in fear. If COVID did one thing, it did put a lot of people into a fear state. And unfortunately, I don't know if you've ever felt this way. I'm going to be honest for a moment here. It feels still crazy out there, doesn't it? Like in your head, it just feels so off still. Like, my goodness, they really did a psychological experiment on us. Something still seems off. We're more cynical now than we've ever been. We're on edge a lot more now. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians live more in fear than looking forward to the return of Christ. God, take me home! I don't want to deal with this anymore! I can't! That's the response today. When the response should be, Jesus, I can't wait for you to come back. I'm ready for your return. Be careful if you are someone that latches on to the latest insight from a certain author. And they can be good authors. Be careful. It's offensive to so many, but if believers spend as much time in pursuing the calling God has in their life as they do following the latest Christian trends, like Jesus' calling, we'd be much better in the way that we live our lives. Listen, don't pursue just the latest Christian fad out there thinking that's going to get you closer to God. This is always the superior text. It will always be the superior text. No author that even all of us respect and cherish in this church will come close to the pure Word of God. 
And when you and I prioritize reading other authors above God's word or other books outside of God's word, we're literally saying, I want the commentary, not the real thing. We would live much better lives as disciples of Jesus Christ if we paid attention to what he said. As a side note, church, uh, there's always a cooler-looking pastor online to listen to that gets you better than your local pastor. The pastor that knows his people, cares for his people, is many times the pastor that's forgotten because he can't always meet all your needs. Truth is, he was never meant to, church. My goal is always to point you back to Christ in your need of him. Your ultimate goal is not to need me or whoever it is that's an elder in this church or another church. Your ultimate goal is to need Christ and pursue him and want him. Online pastors cheapen the experience because they don't really have a relationship with you, but you feel like they understand you. They get you. That clip on Facebook, we've all seen it, right? Oh my goodness, this pastor's so on point. Totally what I was going through. Does he know you? No. Not saying it wasn't helpful. Could have been helpful. But I don't know if you've ever done this. I know I have. Sometimes you and I give credence to people that we don't know so well way more than the people we know very well. Bottom line, as this text says, there's peace. There's peace that's offered. Length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Believer, you want peace in your life? Stop reading books that terrify you every time. Read the Bible. As I said, I like good conspiracies, but goodness, if I'm in that all the time, I'm terrified every day. Like, what's the point of running the school? It's all going to get shut down anyways. Like, that's what I would believe. Should we prepare? Should anything happen? Absolutely. But when you live in fear, you react with a knee-jerk reaction that's inappropriate sometimes. Do you want a better life with peace, believer? Don't forget the law of God. Ask yourself if that's what you've done. Have you forgotten the law of God? Oh, you know the Bible, you know that it's important, but I'm saying, do you really value and cherish it enough to go, you know what, I really need this in my life? Make it a priority in your home. Believer, don't just eat on Sundays. Eat the spiritual food every day. Your only meal should not be Sunday morning. You would starve if that was the case physically. You'd be hangry very shortly. And you wonder why your week goes so rough. Because you thought the Sunday morning sermon or whatever podcast you listen to is going to last the whole week. It's your daily bread. Scripture should be your daily bread. Believer, I don't know if you realize this, we have a privilege that early believers never had. We have all of this we can read. 
they had portions of it to read. I mean, that's the most amazing thing. I don't know if you've ever considered it, right? David writes the book of Psalms, right? Most of the Psalms. And yet, it's written about him and his life as well, and we get to read it. Like, God, through inspiration, gives him the words to pen in the book of Psalms, and then also gives us an insight into his life and what he went through, which, pretty messy. Man after God's own heart, wow, many of us would disqualify him. But guess what? Who makes the shot? Who calls the shots? God does. Which is one of the reasons why it's hard for us to even fathom that a loving God would actually call us his own and a saint. We don't act like it many times, do we? The command is to be holy as he is holy. But we're saints because of Christ, not because we always act that way. There needs to be an internal desire of the heart to not just take it in, but to actually do something with it. You want peace in your life? See how much you find if you make it a priority to keep God's commandments. If you internalize what you read, if you say, you know what, Lord, this is an area I just read in the book of Proverbs, and I'm not doing so well in this. And I'm going to be perfectly honest, we've read Proverbs with the kids recently, and there are certain Proverbs I'm explaining to the kids, and I'm going, oh, Lord, I'm not doing well in this area. <laughs> not doing well in this area right now. It's easy to warn on the outside, right? But what about yourself? It's easy to go, look at that person. They're not living what God wants. It's hard to go, God, I'm not living that. Your word says that this is how people act that don't really love you as they ought to, and I'm not doing that right now. I'm acting this way. The principle here, not an absolute promise, but a principle is longevity of life and peace. Shalom will be added. Believer, you want a better quality life? Make God's word that priority. Stop going to Christian music as the number one source for your encouragement. It's a good supplement. It's not the main thing. The unadulterated, pure word of God is where it should be. Scripture is so practical that it does tell us areas that would extend our life if we did them. Did you know that? God doesn't leave you hanging. Like, what does that mean? Okay, let's, let's think practically. Wisdom in our finances. Do you think that you and I, let's, let's pause for a moment and ask ourselves, we would have less stress if we budgeted better? Yes or no? Yes. Why don't we do it? Oh, and, and I don't know. We have the excuses, right? I don't have enough money. It's the government. It's, you know. And yes, those things play a factor in it. Nobody's arguing that. I think conservatives need to be a little more careful in their approach to government politics because they tend to think if, as long as we limit government, that'll fix the problem every time. It won't always fix the problem because men are still wicked. They still do what they should not do. What about wisdom in our personal health? If you and I believe that the body that we have been given by God is to be a sacrifice to him, that it is the temple of the Holy Spirit, how should we live then? If you really pictured yourself as something that you're offering before God, how would that change? From the way you and I take care of our bodies. 
What about wisdom in relationships? This is essentially the second point that we're going to talk about here in the text. Number two, better relationships. Verses three through four. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. The idea here for mercy is kindness. And truth, the idea is faithfulness. Mercy carries the idea of kind deeds and compassionate charity towards others. Truth carries the idea of faithfulness, support, reliability, something that can be relied on. Solid. Doesn't change. In fact, both of these words describe God himself in Psalm 2510. Here's what it says. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. What a beautiful description of God. A God who's merciful. A God who's kind to his own. God who is kind enough to tell us the truth in areas that we don't want to hear sometimes. He's a strong support. You see, believer, it's so important that we understand the need for us to be that way with others. Believer, ask yourself, are you representing God well in this area? And be sincere. Am I a person that is known to be kind and full of truth? Or am I mean and cruel and I flatter and lie to people? Take the antithesis of those words. To be compassionate, caring, kind to others while standing on the truth and being consistent and reliable is what God has called us to. God never wants you and I to go picket some protest with vile statements, but rather he wants us to be kind. You can be kind and stand for truth, believer. Compassionate care without truth only furthers a lie, believer. Hear that again. Compassionate truth without, I mean, compassionate care without, without truth only furthers the lie. There are a lot of believers today that have compassionate care for people without telling them the truth. And it, and it, and it seeps into the church with statements like this. It's really okay. We're all the same. We may be the same, but that doesn't absolve the person from dealing with what God wants to deal with. Don't let these qualities leave you, as Scripture says here, but bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Believer, these are areas you and I should go, I want to be more kind in my life. God, I want more truth. You're so kind to me, Lord. Why am I not like this with other people? Why do I care about me so much? When I look at the face of Jesus, he was rejected by his own and he loved them to the very end. Believer, that is why it's very good for us 
if we want to bind them around our neck and write them on the tablet of our heart to memorize the Word of God. You and I should memorize Scripture like Ephesians 4.32 that many of us are familiar with if we had had wana in our lives. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. A believer, instead of just memorizing, make it practical. God, I'm not tender-hearted to my spouse today. I'm a jerk. God, I'm not forgiving of other people. I hold grudges against them. God, you've forgiven me so much, but I can't stand that I have to forgive others. Do an honest analysis. This is something you and I need to pay attention to with a sense of urgency, believer. When you and I are operating in revenge or falsehood instead of mercy and truth, we need to pay attention. Some of us think God is on our team when we have revenge against somebody else. There's a principle attached to when you and I do this. When we say, you know what, I'm going to make this a priority in my life. I'm going to bind this around my neck. I'm going to write, have God write this on my heart. Here's the, here's the principle attached to this. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Believer, there's favor to be found before God and others when you and I operate under kindness and truth. I don't know if you knew that. There is a good reputation to be earned if we live this way. Ask yourself this question. It was probably the hardest part of the sermon to write. Could it be that others don't want to be around me and I don't have a good reputation because I'm not a kind person but a self-centered, bitter individual who's not operating in truth? Could that be the reason why others don't want to be around you? And be honest about that. Instead of going, it's them, it's all of these other things, but you and your bitterness are pushing people away. You and your harshness are pushing people away. You and your judgmentalism pushing people away. Or you're just not a trustworthy person. You're operating, flattering people, lying. That's a hard balance to find, isn't it? Being someone that's kind, like, I really care for you, brother and sister, but here's the truth. Because we don't always have the responses we would like to see, right? Now here's where it needs to be a real soul searching. Are only kind and truthful to certain people, but others we feel like we can be rude to? Are we like that? Are we only kind and truthful to certain people, and other people we're like, eh, I could be a jerk here. I could be cruel. They know me by now. That's not what God says. God doesn't give you a pass, brother, to be cruel to your wife and kids. God doesn't give you a, a, a pass, sister, in not caring to be gentle in your response. It's truly heartbreaking 
How many have a good reputation outside their homes, but their family can't stand them because they're anything but kind and true? Believer, this is an honest point of analysis all of us have to make. And I stand before you open and honest on this point. There were times I really did not do right by my kids when they were younger. Things were not matching up that you saw here. And I had to repent. God convicted me over these things. I'm not preaching this to you, brothers and sisters, as if, oh, you know, Pastor Roman, he figures he's arrived. But one thing I told my wife the other day is I want to be the same at home and at church and anywhere else I go. I want you to view me the way others in the church view me and those things to be the same. Is it always possible? No, it's not. Well, we sure would act differently if a church member was around with the way we talk to our spouse, right? Sometimes. If your pastor was at your house and you were talking to your wife, would you walk, talk a little differently sometimes? Let's go one up on that. God's always watching. That should bother you more than if another brother or sister is watching. And for some reason, we feel we could be cruel and harsh to people instead of kind and loving. If you have a better reputation with others in and outside the church than your own family, then you are not lining up. Men, your wives should see the same you here in this church and at home in the way that you respond to her. Ladies, the same you should be here in this church and at home. People should be able to ask what kind of person we are in any circumstance, and the answer should always be the same. You all have been at funerals like this, and I have, when you know somebody is somebody that was committed to God and prayed all the time. They were known for that. They had that reputation in the home and outside the home. Believer, why is that not us? Why is it that we put up a facade when we come to church and we have a certain thing that everybody assumes about us, but really, at home, it ain't lining up? And here's the kicker. Here's the part that's hardest here. In, in bringing these things up, my goal is for you to do honest soul searching in your own heart before you go bring it to somebody else. It's very easy for us men sometimes to blame our wives for where it's our fault and vice versa. Admitting your human or struggle is no excuse for doing what this text says, believer. This text says, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. God is not okay with you going, I got a problem. Duh. We all do. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to bind the truth of God on your heart? Are you going to, on your neck, bind, write it on the tablet of your heart? Are you going to make God such a priority that you go, God, I'm going to change in this area with your power? I'm going to ask for forgiveness where I need to. I'm going to walk closer to you and repent in areas that are hard, but I need to. 
Of course, those closest to us will see more of our flaws, right? They see us every day. But that is why we ought to strive even more to pay attention and not let our guard down, believer. You ever feel like you can just let your guard down around your family? And in some things, yes, you can. You should be able to be more vulnerable with your spouse than anybody else on this earth. God designed your marriage that way. But in being more vulnerable doesn't mean that you now have to be cruel and harsh if they respond in a way that you don't like. That's why you shouldn't be so impressed with others you don't even personally know. Believer, if you have certain people that you praise and you think are heroes in the faith, you might want to see the fact that they have flaws too. There are a lot of preachers that everybody loves. They put them up on a pedestal and they don't even realize that the backdrop of their life is they had a lot of stuff that they struggle with just like you and me. I'm not bringing this up as a matter of we've all arrived. We haven't. But the question is, are we going to do something about it or just admit we all have a problem? It's only the first step, admitting you have a problem. Even Alcoholics Anonymous knows you don't stop there. The bottom line is this, believer. If you know yourself, then you need to know that this is what Scripture asks of you, God asks of you. And if your first response is, but you don't know who that person is, what they've done, and, I, and that's your like, baseline for everything, I want you just for a moment to pause and think of Jesus who was rejected by his own. And realize that he was innocent, you're not. He was innocent, you and I are not. Every time you really think you have some certain right now to really, you know, give it to him, remember the Lord Jesus Christ who literally stripped himself of all glory for you and me. Yes, he's coming back reigning as king. But he asks us to live a life of kindness and truth. We'll be rewarded with better relationships and also Last point, a better direction for the future. Number three, better direction, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. What a verse. What a, what a text we've memorized. Proverbs three, five through six. The question is, how personal have we made it? It's one thing to memorize that I need to trust the Lord with all my heart. It's good, you know, when you're in Awana, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean on to your own understanding. Rattle it off. Spit it out. Yeah, sign off in Awana. You're done. Next text. Well, what happens when you're an adult? You know that verse, and you still really haven't paused to think of how you're applying it. Here's the part that's difficult to do sometimes, and maybe this is going to shock you, but trusting God with all of your heart. Oh, you trust God in certain areas, of course, but with every fiber of your beating, with all of your heart, not trusting him in some areas, but trusting him in others. By way of example, working hard is a biblical mandate in providing for your family, is it not? 
if we work hard, there should be certain results, right? 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says this, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty straightforward. Obviously, in this context, we're talking about widows in the church that want others to support them, but they have family members that don't want to jump in and help. The priority should be family takes care of family first. And if nobody has family anymore, then the church comes in and helps those that are church members with those needs. The main help should come from immediate family first. That's the context there. You see, the problem is this. When we think of texts like this and say, look, I'm doing my best. I'm providing for my family. We tend to think, well, I'm doing good in this area. I've done my part. What we don't realize is that truth ties into other truths as well. They're not separate. Let me explain what I mean by that. There are other commands that are connected to that one. You can't separate them and believe that, hey, I've, I've accomplished this, and this is what men typically do. Men go, listen, I've worked really hard. I've provided for my family. I've done what God wanted me to do. That's not all God wants you to do. Hate to break it to you. Well, I pay the bills. So what? That's only one of the many things he's told you. Ephesians 5, 25 through 28. Here's what it says. These aren't Pastor Roman's words. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Can it be that while we're financially providing for our families, we're missing this other truth? Sure. Happens all the time. Are you intentionally connecting with your spouse, leading them spiritually as Christ does the church? As another text, dwelling with your wife in an understanding way. Okay, so, so we have, I'm working, providing for my family. I've done that part. God, what else? Okay, I've got to love my wife as you love the church. Wait, wait, does it stop there? No, there's something for children, too. It connects to children as well. Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Hey, guess what, fathers? It's your responsibility that your children are raised in a Christian home. It's your responsibility that you take care of the spiritual nurturing in the home. You don't pass the buck to mom. She helps. You are responsible. This is to fathers. It's important to contextually understand what Scripture says. That is not to say that when a person comes from a single family home, God doesn't understand the circumstances there. This is in the tie-in of two believers that are walking with God. So you're paying the bills, buying what they need, but you're provoking your children to anger by not spending time with them. Fathers, we're failing them. You're not doing all that God has commanded you. Which means what happens sometimes is because we don't fully trust God with our finances, we blow it in other areas. Does that not happen, men? 
Stink, I don't have any money in the bank. I need to make more money. So now I'm going to take away from my family to make more money. And then it becomes a crazy rat race. And before you know it, that short period of time we thought we were going to do becomes a very long period of time. There's one area my dad was a great example to me, and I really wish to, to follow in his footsteps on this. My dad sacrificed, and I saw my dad sacrifice that I've never seen a lot of other fathers around me that were my age do. My dad was very, very lower middle class in what he made. But he did everything he can and he could to actually provide us with a Christian education. Six kids, very low income, definitely not six figures, I promise y'all. And he did everything that he could to provide us with a better education. He went without certain things. He had run-down cars he'd keep repairing. He wouldn't buy a lot of the stuff that, frankly, other families had. There's nothing wrong. If God blesses you, enjoy that. I'm not, what I'm not saying is, my dad's the most noble in the world. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, it's a feature and a quality that matters. Because I found my dad... Working really hard, but understanding that at the end of the day, it mattered that I was a, a father that provided my kids with a Christian worldview. The question is, what sacrifices are you willing to make to make sure that you're doing all of God's commandments, not just some selective few that you like? Because for some of us men, and I'm one of these, it's easy for me to work a lot. Easy. It, it's natural. I'm like that type A, let's keep going. Find me a new project. Let's do it. You ask my wife, like, Roman, stop. I get it. But how do we balance that out with other things? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Listen, believer, you don't have all the answers. Do you know that? So you're doing a little better than someone else today. The question is, how are you lining up with God's word? God is not going to put you in front of others and say, let's compare. He's going to go, here's the standard of God's word. Here's my standard to you. How have you lined up? How have you lived? We're still flawed compared to him. You're still flawed in your understanding sometimes of what his commandments want from you. You ever hear a text of scripture and you go, I really get it, but you really didn't get it until later on? When you went through that trial personally, finally. It wasn't just an abstract idea in your head. You went through a loss in life that you really experienced that devastated you that bad. It's hardest to trust God when everything inside us disagrees with his assessment of the situation in our lives. Very hard to do that. We'd rather blame him and others for what we've done in our own way of doing things. People that are bitter towards God and others essentially do not trust God in those areas that they are hurt. It's a truth that's hard to swallow. It's easy to blame others for what they've done and say, you know what, God? I don't know why you put them in my life. Look at how much damage they've done. Look at all the stuff I've gone through and essentially turn in bitterness towards God as well. These are the hard truths to practice in life, the providence of God, believer. There are things providentially in our lives that we do not like, we wish would never have happened. But they're there. And if we believe Romans 8.28, they are working some way, somehow, for our good. Doesn't make sense how. 
It won't make sense sometimes. In fact, Job didn't even get an answer at the end of his trials. God told him to buckle up. Where were you? Like, you don't get to tell me how I operate. Essentially, a person whose view matters more than God's elevates their status as supreme above him. You see, believer, if you and I think that our understanding is more important than God's, then we're essentially saying, God, I know better than you do. We essentially become his judge and think we know better than he does. You ever, you ever wrestle with a text of Scripture that you know God wants you to apply and you go, I don't know if I want to do it that way. That just seems pretty crazy, Lord, to forgive my enemies. Really? You realize how much they hurt me? Our confidence and trust should always be in him and not in ourselves, believer. Believer, let, let me reemphasize this. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I, I don't think you need me to go into the Hebrew or the Greek Septuagint and tell you what all means. It really means what it means. There's no other mixed translation there. All your ways. Whatever you're going through or planning, give his will the credence in your life. Give his word the proper authority in your life. So many Christians live apart from God's word pretending they're somehow walking with him. You will not find God's will apart from his word. You won't. You need to recognize God's hand in your life, believer. He will direct your paths. God's the one that's going to give you direction. You don't have to walk this life alone. He can and will guide you. Do you actually believe him on that? Or do you go, no, God, I still figure, eh, scenario, I don't know if I trust you on this. You can't ask for his direction unless you trust him fully, believer. It's an all in. I mean, we sing songs, I surrender all. Do we mean that? I surrender all. Everything in my life, Lord, is yours. My house, my family, my income, everything is yours. Or is it like, now this part is yours, Lord. I'm willing to give you that. This is mine. Trusting God fully is hard when money is tight and the budget is limited, right? When friendships and relationships are broken, it's hard to trust God. It's hard to trust God when the future seems very uncertain. And sometimes it's very hard to trust God if you don't know if God will ever use a failure like you again. You see, some of us, we think, well, man, it's over. Look at how much I've blown it in my life. God will always use broken vessels that turn to him. Always. Always. Practical tips in trusting God fully as we wrap up. When faced with difficult situations and different situations, number one, be sure to be in the word and prayer. Not in a let me do it to feel better therapy, but in a genuine pursuit of I want to hear from God myself. 
Number two, use reason in submission to God's word. God doesn't want you to just turn off your brain in assessing what he says in his word. He wants you to use your reason, but that is in submitting to his word. That is thinking through what the text of Scripture is saying and going, you know what? Scripture says that I ought to love my wife as Christ loved the church. What does that look like? God, help me do that. And think of practical ways you can do that in your life. Number three, be careful of distractions and sin that distort your perception of God's truth. Many think they're walking with God but are actually far away from him. Happens to all of us. We've all done it. Oh, I'm walking with God. Really? Really? How many, uh, how many things have you just not repented and refused to repent of? You keep acknowledging you have problems, but you don't want to deal with them. I mean, essentially, it's, come, it's almost as if you think you can deceive God in this area. I mean, you deceived yourself, but you think you can deceive him. Like, God knows you better than you know yourself. Number four, seek out godly people who trust God in the area that you are working through. Here's the bottom line. Every one of us is going to have different things that we probably struggle with in our lives. And there may be some things that somebody else has trusted God in more than you have. And they might be the person to talk to about this. There are certain people in this church, I know when it comes to financial stuff, I'm going to ask for their advice. They've worked through a lot of the stuff I'm going through in certain areas. And then there's others, I'm like, hey, you know what? They've got, they've got this in their life. They really have that done right before God. I'm going to ask for their input on something. There are people that can help us grow in our faith. One person can be helpful in an area others can't be because they're still learning to trust in that area. Let me put it this way. If you and I struggle with the sin of drunkenness and we just quit tomorrow, you probably would not be the first person I would talk to if I was struggling with that. Not because you couldn't possibly help me, but because I would like to talk to somebody that's been doing it for a while, has walked that path for a while. And that's something to keep in mind. We all have different areas that we trust God in more based on where we've been and what he's taught us. Your experience is different than someone else's. Some of you have come from broken homes. Some of you have had Christian homes. There, there's differences. There are some struggles. I've got to be perfectly honest with you, church. Like, I would redirect you to somebody else to help you with it just because I think they would probably connect better in this area. It doesn't mean I can't help. I just think that that person might be better in that area. And I'm not ashamed to say that. Number five, trust that God will give you direction and act in accordance to his word. Lead the results to him. Bottom line, if you've got something going on in your life, you're like, man, this is crazy. I don't know how to do this. Do the best that you can with what you see in the scripture and leave God with the results. Don't overthink it every time. Simple things like what car to buy, do your research. But don't feel like you've missed God's will if your car breaks down. Like Colgate and Crest, you don't care. Pick one. More complex things, like how should I approach this individual that I'm having problems with? Use proverbial wisdom and act. You know what's really good? If you have relationship problems, read the book of Proverbs. Goodness, it's so applicable. A soft answer turns away wrath. What? You mean like standing up for my rights and getting angry isn't the right way? No. It's not. 
Trust God that he knows what he's doing as long as your confidence is in him and not yourself. Believer, God knows you better than you know yourself, and he knows the direction your life should go. Sometimes it's hardest to trust God when you can't stop someone else from living apart from God. It's harder to trust God sometimes with other people, isn't it? Like, God, I trust you with my life in this area, but man, I don't know about my kids. They're not walking with you right now. They're not doing what you'd want them to. They're living astray. How do I trust you, God? I feel like you failed me, even though you, I know you don't. I did all these things, and they didn't turn out the way I wanted in this area. I pursued you, but for some reason this right here happened, and I didn't really want the circumstance in my life. How do you trust God in that? That's where you trust his providence, fully. That is why sovereignty of God is an important truth you and I need to take and drink deeply. Maybe you need to hear Spurgeon's word on trust. Spurgeon says this, I find myself frequently depressed, perhaps more so than any other person here. And I find no better cure for that depression than to trust in the Lord with all my heart and seek to realize afresh the power of the peace-speaking blood of Jesus and his infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all my transgressions. Oh, you mean Spurgeon struggled with depression? Yeah. What a shock. A saint of God that we respect and cherish struggled. Believer, that's for your edification and mine. May we come to the end of ourselves and our self-confidence to fully trust that God can give us a better direction than we can ever figure out for ourselves. So here's my closing question to you. Have you enjoyed the rewards of wisdom in your life? These things that we talked about, have you enjoyed and experienced them in your own life? Have you seen for yourself the better life that God's wisdom brings to you? Like, yeah, when I did it his way, my goodness, life was much better. Maybe you're not in that state now. Maybe you're like, man, I remember years ago. Anybody have that? Like, years ago, man, I remember when I walked with God, and it was really an amazing time. What's keeping you from that right now besides yourself? You think God doesn't want that? You think God doesn't want you to know him more intimately, personally, that you would love and cherish his word so he can really work in your life and change it for the better? You trust him with eternity. Why don't you trust him for the here and now? I trust you when I'm done with this life. What about tomorrow? Have you experienced the peace that passes all understanding that is found in Christ? And when you experience that peace, there's nothing like it, is there? Nothing. The world cannot take it away because it's supernatural. If you haven't, maybe that today needs to be the day that you fully trust him for the first time with your own heart. Say, listen, I need, I need something that I can't find in myself, and that is Jesus Christ who paid for my sin. Jesus who unconditionally loved, who sacrificed of himself for our behalf. 
Have you seen the rewards of wisdom and better relationships in your life? Have you seen God do miracles when you do what he says? Like, shoot, I've been doing it the wrong way all this time, and sure enough, I just did what the Bible says, and this got better. Wow! I'm shocked. What if kindness and mercy were a description of your relationship with others? How different would that be? What if you said, you know what, God, I'm not good in these areas. I'm really not what this word says I should be. And you repent and you go, you know what, Lord, with your enablement, with the Holy Spirit's power, I want to be a kind person. I want to be a person of truth, but I also want to be a person of kindness. How different would our lives look? Believer, have you trusted God with all you have, knowing he knows better than you do? Do you actually trust him with everything, knowing that God knows better than you and me? God promises to direct or guide your path if you trust him completely. He promises that. If there are areas you refuse to trust, may today be the day you trust him once again, believer. Our call from this text is to trust with all our hearts and not to lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him. He's going to direct our path. Spurgeon says this in closing. Learn this lesson, not to trust Christ because you repent, but trust Christ to make you repent. Not to come to Christ because you have a broken heart, but to come to him that he may give you a broken heart. Not to come to him because you are fit to come, but to come to him because you are unfit to come. Your fitness is your unfitness. Your qualification is your lack of qualification. And as we close this morning, church, I want to encourage you one last time from this text May we all learn to trust God fully, all of us, and in the areas that he convicts us of, that we say, you know what, that's me, God, I'm not doing this. May we repent in those areas, not just acknowledge that we're wrong, not just think about it, ponder about it, feel a little bad for today, but truly say, you know what, God, I want you to change this in my life. Because the truth is, church, there are a lot of things that are hard for some of us to fight against, especially when it's something we've struggled with years and years.